Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email this week from a client who said, oh my gosh, my husband of 53 years was working a really good program. And I came home and found him cheating on me with porn. 53 years they've been married, and she just didn't know what to do. You know, she thought he was in solid recovery, and she found out that he wasn't. Now, to be real honest, this um, couple, they were from out of town. Um, They were on a vacation. They were snowbirds. And he really didn't have access to the support that he needed. And so clearly what this meant for him is that he needed to increase all the recovery tools possible so that he wasn't so alone. And you know what? What I know to be true is that she was so discouraged that she might not stay with him. And, you know, obviously that breaks my heart. But what also breaks my heart is is partners getting hurt and traumatized over and over and over again and sticking with their husbands or wives and getting re-traumatized. You know, that may be when a separation, a therapeutic separation is necessary. As much as I want to keep people together, You know, if you don't want to lose your finances, either one of you, and you can no longer stand living with somebody that you can't trust, then you probably need to be at least separated. And that was one of the things that I discussed with them. And then, of course, I got them hooked up with a CSAT 
in their area because these kind of crises require a professional. They require somebody that is available to them to actually work with them because this is tough, tough, tough stuff. And, you know, what she kept saying was, how could he do this to me? How could he do this to me? And what I said to her is, oh, I get that. This directly affects you. But he's not doing it to you. He is succumbing to the addiction in and of itself. He's doing it to him. And all the collateral damage, your kids, yourself, you know, his self-esteem, you know, the fact that he can't be authentic and transparent, the fact that, you know, he's been living a lie when he's been acting like he's been in recovery, all that is incredibly painful. And I'm telling you, I get that. After working with these kind of cases, I get that so um, vividly. You know, it breaks my heart, too. And at the same time, this is where boundaries are so important. As an addict, you have to know what you're willing to do to get healthy. And part of this man's problem was he didn't, you know, he hasn't worked with me. He wasn't really quite sure that he needed that he needed um, to do the tools. And so I'm not saying that everybody that works with me knows that, but I've certainly been very repetitious in saying this is what you got to do, this is what you got to do, this is what you got to do. And then for her, what I know to be true is that if there's not that safety and stability, if she can't form any kind of trusting relationship, she'll never be able to have the intimacy with him nor will he be able to have the intimacy with her when he's leading a dual life. And here's two people just kind of existing, going through the motions and being very wounded. And, boy, that is not a way to have a marriage. That is so sad. All right. So i got to tell you, this is hard stuff, and this is why I'm here with you tonight, because I know it's hard stuff. And if you're an addict who doesn't have a partner, Gosh, what I know to be true is it's even harder for you because you don't have the extra incentive of wanting to work on this addiction for yourself and for a loved one. You know, there are plenty of people that I work with that are single that say, you know, I come home to an empty house. I don't even have to hide my addiction. I can go straight for the computer. I can go straight for the telephone. I can go straight for the directory. I can go straight for the chat room. There's not even any pause, if you will, pause that can actually create the distance one needs to choose not to use. And so I get it. If you're single and dealing with this, wow, this is hard, hard stuff. And I also know that you envy the addicts that have wives, even though they live a life of hell because they have to rebuild that trust, and that is tough, especially when they don't always necessarily deserve it. You know, they haven't been 100% honest. So I got to tell you, I just want so badly 
to have you work the steps that it takes to make the stuff work. And if you can, go back to April of 2014 and look for Patrick Carnes, um, his podcast with me, because he talked about what does it take to create true recovery. And that always requires a spiritual connection, a transformation that occurs. Whether you do it through the 12 steps, whether you do it through your church, you cannot be a sex addict and be spiritually connected with the higher power. You just can't. And so the real question becomes, how do you do that? How do you make that work? So, again, I am Carol the Coach, and I'm here to help you in any way possible. And you can get a hold of me by going to Carol the Coach. Well, actually, go to Carol at carolthecoach.com or go to my website, Sex Help with Carol the Coach, and contact me through my homepage. I got people that are calling me left and right. I'm doing Skype, I'm doing Zoom. I am meeting with you to consult until you get to the right person because, you know, I'll be your go-to person. I'll be the person that gets you where you need to be. I'm your referral source. I'm your consultant. I'm your coach. And I am your 24-hour therapist. That doesn't mean I'll answer the phone in the middle of the night, but it does mean that you can always email me or text me or call me and I will get you to the place that you need to be. Now, tonight, we have a woman who is a female sex addict. And she has heard all her life, you cannot be a sex addict, you're a woman. Or she's heard, you're not welcome at our 12-step meetings. Because this is for men. You need to create your own. Now, the good news is, truly... You know, Bill W. said it with AA. It only takes two people to start um, an all-female sexual addiction meeting. And that's what I actually prescribe. We'll have to hear what Amy says, what she believes to be true. But this is a woman who's very innovative. And she has created a podcast that she thinks is very helpful. She started Worth Recovery. And this podcast, Underworth Recovery, is a support for women in recovery. She has this mission to reach women sex addicts who are recovering from their own addiction. And as her recovery has grown, she has learned that she had a whole family that had addiction issues. She had a parent who had a sex addiction. Um... She, ha- she herself had a food addiction. She had a dysfunctional family. And she was not just combating sex addiction. She was really revamping her whole life to decide what did she need to do to get healthy. It's her mission to kind of dispel that shame and build hope in the lives of women recovering from addiction no matter how that addiction has touched them. And so Worth Recovery, and that's W-O-R-T-H, offers support for those women through her podcast, blog, 
her one-day workshops, her recovery coaching, and her online courses, all with the goal of supporting women in recovery. And I can't say enough about that because that is exactly what women need to get healthy. And so I am so pleased that she um, has put her life together and has really figured out a way to digitally meet with women, whether it be her online courses or coaching, to help them find the recovery they need. And obviously, with her website being called The Worth Recovery, she's obviously helping you find your worth. You know, what I know to be true is that oftentimes the men, they don't care if there's a female sex addict in their meeting. They don't. They're a little uncomfortable. What they find out is that people are people. And a female sex addict has the same issues as a male sex addict has. But here's what they know to be true and I know to be true. Having a female sex addict in a meeting can be very triggering to partners. And, you know, I get that. What that means is that the one thing that a partner worries about is her husband hooking up with somebody who has the same illness. And... I've never seen that happen, but I clearly have seen some inappropriate boundaries. And so there is some fears that are actually true. And I'm sure Amy's going to talk about that, and I'm sure she's coming from a very different place. Um, So a lot of what she's going to be doing is dispelling the myth that that automatically happens, because it doesn't. But it has been known to happen. So I can't wait to talk with Amy um, because she's going to be sharing her life and she's going to be talking about her podcast and she's going to be talking about, you know, how she has hosted educational events to help women to recognize they have a problem. And we'll probably be talking a little bit about the difference between sex addiction and love addiction because what I know to be true is sometimes women use sex when they're really craving love and then other times it's just a straight old sexual addiction and so again you've you've heard my other radio shows I've had other women that have talked about their sex addiction but nobody has devoted um, the educational and the therapeutic recovery to women's sex addicts so Amy welcome to the show Thanks so much, Carol. I'm so glad to be here with you. Well, absolutely. And when I had heard about your podcast, I reached out to you because, you know, one thing I know is that getting out there and either doing webinars or video podcasts or radio podcasts, Internet podcasts, they all are incredibly helpful in educating people about what resources are available, and how to do the inside-out work. So tell me a little bit, you know, what made you seek recovery from your sex addiction? And then, of course, how did you get involved in the work of helping others? Yeah, um, so my personal 
story started in recovery started in 2011 and uh I had I had been living in sex addiction for a number of years, decades I would even say, probably 20 years and and a couple of things kind of happened to help me realize first of all that what I was doing was an addiction <laughs> and that I needed some help in getting over that. Uh, getting through that, not over, but through it for sure. Um, what happened was I was in a, I was in a relationship. There's a couple things that happened at the same time. I was in an acting out relationship that I thought was, was more than it really was. Um, you mentioned a, a minute ago about love and sex addiction. I definitely think that both of those are part of my story. And I was in a relationship that uh, for me was, I felt was some something that was going somewhere. We had talked about getting married. We had talked about a variety of things, and and then my world came crashing down when he told me that he was actually already married and had children and had kept this whole other part of his life secret. Um, and that was devastating for me, uh, and it helped me to realize that what I what I thought was real wasn't necessarily exactly the truth. And it it led me to try to find out what was going on in my life. Why was I missing this? Why how how did this happen and I didn't see it? Um and it helped me to seek out some help for addiction, uh, in general. And so I, I started seeing I started reading about addiction. I started thinking about, oh, maybe this is a maybe this is a sex addiction, maybe this is a love addiction. I did some research on my own before I started seeing um, a CSAT therapist and, and learned that what I had was definitely, definitely an addiction and I definitely needed some help. And so I started seeing a therapist. Um, it was in the summer of 2011 and I immediately got into, he recommended a, a 12 step program for sex ed, for sex addiction and I immediately got into a 12-step program that, that I continue to work and attend to this day. So that's kind of how I got started, just that kind of earth-shattering moment that I was having an affair. I had never, ever thought that that would be something that would be part of my life. But I was, I was definitely having an affair with a man, and I didn't really understand everything going on. And kind of that shattering of my reality that what I thought was real was not really real and and understanding kind of those components so that's what got me to start recovery okay Um, and then again even though you said you've suffered with this sex and love addiction for decades how long ago was that that was just six years ago it was 2011 that I started recovery what that's really inspiring because you have done a lot in your six years to make this work. Thank you. I feel like I've worked really hard. Yeah, thank you. I, um, as you know, and and in being in this industry, that this is a very male-dominated um, recovery community, and it was really difficult at, at first. I was I was incredibly fortunate where I was living at the time had a small but strong group of women in sex addiction recovery. And I was able to immediately start at a women's group um, and go weekly to meetings. I was able to find a sponsor really quickly. I was able to get into um, some programs really quickly for women specifically that helped me. 
And and just a few years later, though, I made a, a move, a drastic move. I moved from Washington State to where I'm currently at in the state of Utah. And um, and in that move, recognizing when I got here that all of a sudden the resources that I had for women were non-existent. There were not women's meetings. There were not. There was not help for women. In fact, when I started here and I kind of attended some, you know, addiction meetings that were all men except for me, um, I was told things like. Women, women can't have this addiction or women are biologically incapable of having this addiction, I was told. I was told that women don't recover from sex addiction, that that can't even be, that that can't even happen. And so I was thrown instantly from this kind of really supportive, small community, but very supportive into this area where there was no women's groups, no women's recovery groups, no women's you know, no help for women at all. And uh, it was, it was very disheartening and discouraging for me. Well, I bet. So how in the world did you keep plugging away to get the help you needed and then to create the resources for other women? Yeah, I, I was determined, I was determined to recover. I, I had um, fortunately, like I said, had that strong base to begin with um, in the area where I was living. And so those women really rallied around me and helped me. We started at first, we started just kind of like a phone meeting on my 12-step group. They were, And so I was able to call in and meet with uh, the women from the Washington area where I had lived before. And I was able to get support that way. And And then I quickly realized as I attended meetings, here in uh, the Salt Lake City area that there were women in this area. Um, They were just, they were very, they were discouraged like I was. They were told these things when they attended meetings. And so I started to kind of seek them out and I would ask, you know, are there women? Do you know women? And we kind of started, we started small with just a monthly meeting at my house here in this area. And we did that for about a year before we started having weekly women's meetings for recovery and so now we have two different weekly women's meetings that meet um, every week in the 12-step fellowship that I belong to, and, and we're able to really support each other. Uh, we also have developed, I started when I was here, a, a, a biannual, so every six months, we do a women's retreat. And we rent a cabin a um, couple hours from the area that we live, and we go up and, and talk about recovery. And and be able to spend some time together, some dedicated time together. We've been doing that now for two years. Our next one's coming up just next month in April. And, and so we've been doing that for two years now and every, almost every time it sells out and we were able to spend some time together as women in recovery. And so it's it kind of like about, you created your own intensive because, you know, obviously having two meetings, um, a week is great. That's about what Indianapolis has too. I wish there were more. When I look at the men's meetings, there are like 50 in Indianapolis. Right. But when I look at yeah. the women's, there are two. One of them's a, a men and women's meeting, and then the other one is once a month for women. And I don't know if you heard at the beginning of the show, I know that you weren't on at that time, but, you know, boundaries are so tough for addicts, any kind of addict. And clearly... If not a trigger for the addicts, it can be a trigger for partners, uh, whether you're a partner of a woman, partner of a man, 
to have men and women sex addicts together. Now, most of the time, the sex addicts that are male say to me, I don't care if women are in there. We're all the same. Not always, but most of the time. (laughs) But it can be triggering for partners. So I love when women can get together and create that safe environment for each other. Yeah, it's it's very triggering for partners. Um, I know, like, some of the women that I attend with, uh, their spouses are just very adamant about them not attending mixed meetings. Um, they don't think that that's a healthy environment, and they are they're very insecure about that and very and, and question that and 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 rightfully so, right? I mean, we've had I've been hit on at meetings for sure <laughs> um, by men. I've had lots of my fellow sisters in recovery talk about being you know hit on um, when they attend a meeting. Um, there's all sorts of issues, and 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 not just women. I mean, it goes back and forth, women and men. But being that the recovery community for sex addiction is, I mean, just dominated by men, it is really difficult for women to find the support that they need in order to to recovery, in order to recover, in order to really work a recovery program. So we've just been plugging along here in this area and trying to you know, find the women, try to get the women to engage. That's really difficult um, as well. They might come to one or two meetings, but get them to stick around. They might attend one meeting and it's dominated by men. They might be the only woman there. I attended a meeting for over a year where I was the only woman. And and to get people to come back to that environment um, is difficult. And so trying to seek them out, support them, and get them into the supportive environment with other women that, that they need is kind of our goal, what we're, what I've been doing here in this area. Well, and you know, I say, Amy, that clearly this is an epidemic. And so 20 years from now and certainly 50 years from now, we're going to be dealing with this, not only lots of women, but certainly lots of men and lots of kids you know, that this starts out very casually for kids with pornography and desexualization through desensitization and and gaming. And, I mean, the brain gets wired to look for new ways to get stimulated. And so I don't believe there will be the stigma that there is today. So I really appreciate the fact that you say Finding a strong women fellowship can be tough, you know, because of the stigma and because of the fact that they just, oh, maybe don't, they're they're in denial and they don't have that internal support that men have um, mm-hmm. because of the clear-cut definition of sexual addiction. Now, you have really made it your mission to spread the word, and I, I do believe that is the number one way that people can recognize what's going on in their lives. So will you tell us a little bit about your podcast and how you got that started? Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. Um, just It was just about a year ago, last January, so January 2016, um, I kind of had come to this place where I was really frustrated with this lack of support for women. Um, I had I sponsor five women. There's so many more women that need sponsors, that need help. And I had kind of come to this place where I just really felt called to do something more, to do something even bigger 
than what we were just doing here in our local area. And kind of off the cuff one day, someone suggested to me, well, have you ever thought about podcasting? And I I really hadn't ever thought about that. I hadn't ever considered um, doing something that big. I was nervous about putting my story out on the Internet for anyone to listen to. Um, But as I kind of thought about it more and prayed about it and listened to other podcasts about sex addiction recovery or about recovery in general, uh, I just felt really called that it was time to add a woman's voice to sex addiction recovery. Um, And so I started a podcast and we started last February. It's called the Worth Recovery Podcast. And the reason I chose that name is I feel like so many women just really struggle even more than what I've experienced with men in sex addiction recovery, they just struggle with worth. They struggle with feeling worthy of recovery. They struggle with feeling like, like they can change. They struggle with so many stigmas. You know, I, I've been called a whore. I've been called a prostitute. Um, All those things that don't, those adjectives that don't apply to what I did, what my acting out was, but yet are, are big stigmas for women in sex addiction recovery. And so I just feel like women struggle with that. And so I decided on the name of the Worth Recovery podcast because I believe that women are worth recovery. And so I started last, last February, last February 2nd was my first episode. And I remember thinking like, what would be success? What, how would I define success? And I thought if 20 people listen to my podcast, I would call that successful. And <laughs> And I, I just figured, you know, I, I wasn't really looking to change the world by any means, but I just wanted to have a woman's voice out there and available. And I, that number got blown out of the water the first day. Um, and I, I had to read. Really? Tell me about re- that. How many, how many women did you have listened to it at first? Yeah. So within 24 hours of the first episode um, going live, we had over 50 women, 50 people listen to the podcast. And, wow. and with, within the first week, we had over 200. And, and it just has continued to grow since then, Carol. It's, it's, uh, it's really humbling for me to think that there are listeners in over 60 countries, every state in the United States. We average just over 350 downloads every day. Well, and that is beautiful. You know, I had that same experience. Now, my podcast has been running for over years, but my first um, night, I may have had three people listen, but by the end of the week, I think we had like 150. And then it exponentially grew every week four and five times so that by the end of the third month, I had 3,000. Right now, I have over get this, a half a million open downloads a week. Wow. So that's not even people that subscribe, but people that actually open it up and listen to at right. least a part of it. It doesn't tell us, do they listen from top to bottom? But, you know, again, this is such important information to get out, and you're such a specialized niche. And, you know, we don't have a lot of research on how many women are sex addicts. And what I happen to know about men is that probably two out of every ten men have compulsive 
sexual behavior. Now, you know, whether we call it sex addiction, whether we call it hypersexuality, Mm -hmm. we call it compulsion, it doesn't matter. It, It feels like their behavior is out of control. And that's the same with women. You know, again, whether they want a relationship and are using sex to get that or whether they actually have compulsive sexual behavior. You know, because I've had women that literally had sex with six or seven different partners a day, and they had kids, and they were married, and they were lying, you know, 95% of their day because they had to keep that kind of schedule up, and yet they couldn't stop, and they needed it, again, for self-worth. And you and I both know they felt good at the time. It felt like it was medicating some wounded part of them, and then it was auto-exacerbating. After they got done, they hated themselves even more. And so then they medicated to, to medicate the pain they felt from acting out, and it just went, went circular, just never stopped until they figured out what tools and resources would help. And it sounds like your worth podcast is one of the tools that can help somebody feel normalized, understood, and can get them to the right places and the right readings and the right materials. Yeah, I I have I've experienced, you know, what you're saying, that cycle of using sex to medicate myself, my feelings, um, you know, whether that be I started like like you said, my, you know, my addiction started as a child. Um, when I was exposed to pornography, I had a period of time in my life where I had unlimited, really, access to pornography. And and that started something for me that that I couldn't control over the years and just, just grew exponentially. And so many women struggle with that. And as I've grown in recovery, I would say that one of the things that really helped me was defining sex addiction as an intimacy disorder. I've heard you talk about that. Um, I've heard so many people talk about that. I know Patrick Carnes talks about that, but just the idea of not being able to, or not understanding intimacy and, and turning intimacy into transactional um, behaviors. You know, I really feel like w- one of my most popular podcast episodes is the one, is the one titled Not About Sex. And in that episode, I discuss the transactional nature uh, that I had turned intimacy into this transaction and that I would trade sexual physical intimacy for these other types of intimacy that I needed in my life. And, and I think that's so common for women, but we don't always define it as a sex addiction. We don't always see it that way. Um, But we, but we really have this strong intimacy disorder that causes problems for us in building relationships and, and I'm grateful for that knowledge that I have learned and for that opportunity that I have to pass that along to other people through my podcast, through the events that we host um, as Worth Recovery, and all the exciting things we have coming down the pipeline. So I'm just really excited to be able to share that knowledge and help. One of the things that um, has happened that I didn't expect, Carol, which is kind of and kind of a shock to me, was the number of women that I have that listen to my podcast that are partners of sex addicts. Um, they aren't necessarily sex addicts themselves, but they identify a lot with what I have to say because my dad was a sex addict. And so 
my recovery has included that component as well of dealing with sex addicts and, and working through kind of that partner um, mentality. Before we talk about your dad a little bit, will you explain to our listening audience more about how sex can be used as a transaction as opposed to a vehicle for intimacy? Explain that whole process. Sure, yeah. I, now I'm not a clinical profession, professional, but I can explain it from my aspect, from my viewpoint as an addict. Um, one of the things that really changed my recovery was understanding that there, the intimacy, that there was different types of intimacy. Um, physical intimacy was just one type. That there was emotional intimacy. That there was experiential intimacy, where we um, share experiences. Where there was cognitive or, or mental intimacy, and and learning that. I have a hard time with intimacy in general. I struggle in almost all relationships of my life. I'm getting way better, but I struggle with almost all relationships in my life to to maintain a healthy form of intimacy, whether that's physical, cognitive, emotional, experiential, whatever it is. And I learned in, in recovery that I... You know, we're all, Brene Brown tells us we're all wired for connection. We're all wired for intimacy. We want that. And I learned in recovery that I would, I would trade sex for the intimacy that I needed. I had an acting out partner um, that I acted out with very regularly. And it was, it was all about the experience. We would go places together. We would go to amusement parks. We would go to, um, museums, we would go to art galleries, we would go and experience these things that I wanted to do, experiential intimacy. And I I never wanted to have sex with him. I wasn't really attracted to him, but he would do these things with me and we would have this experience. And I, I, the payoff for him was the physical intimacy that I traded at the end. So we would go do these experiential things together and I would get the, the experiential intimacy that I wanted have a partner to experience things with. And then at the end, I would trade physical intimacy because I felt obligated. I felt like I, he had done something for me, and so I needed to do something for him, and this is what he wanted, and so I, I would trade that. Does that make sense? Well, not only does it make sense, unfortunately, it is um, the basis for a lot of dating in general for women that don't have the compulsive need for sexuality or even for uh, that hungering intimacy. Let's face it, there are a lot of people that date. Um, you take me out and we'll have sex as a, as, as a result of that. So mm-hmm. I definitely think it makes sense, but it really gets exacerbated when you have that compulsive need to do whatever it takes to get your needs met. And, and, you know, I suspect, I, I say this oftentimes in my podcasts, there are two types of addicts. There's the addict that, you know, experienced some sort of trauma as a kid, and whether that was abuse or neglect or something sexual that occurred, and, and they reenacted that trauma in some way sexually, fused sexually. And then there's mm-hmm. also the kind of addict that, got exposed to something sexual and got curious and 
and pursued that to the point of no return. They could not stop that behavior. And so I, I really feel like those are the two primary reasons that somebody becomes an addict. And what I know truly is that women, more often than men, are sexually abused, are sexually exploited, and have been exposed to sexuality in a way that um, they may take control by organizing their lives so that they are no longer taken advantage of. They actually help to set up that scenario. And what I hear you saying is that, you know, you were you had been with men that you weren't even interested in, not only emotionally but sexually, and yet on some um, in some way you learned that that transactional uh, relationship provided secondary gains for you that were worth it to trade sex for a concert or sex for a night out or whatever. And and mm-hmm. so being with people, true, being with men, truly allowed you an opportunity to get some of those emotional needs met that, of course, then backfired on you just in the same way it does with any addict. You know, you think you're getting a need met, and then you hate yourself for meeting that need that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think now, that's definitely... Me... Go ahead. I, I think I just say, I think so that's you, definitely accurate. And you referenced, you obviously said that, you know, you figured out at some point that your dad was a sex addict. And I don't know if you go into personal history about that, but often the men that I work with realize that their fathers or their grandfathers were sex addicts. So can I ask you, how did you figure that out, and what did you do with that information? Yeah. So um, the year that I entered into recovery, uh, my dad was actually diagnosed with terminal brain cancer and passed away just nine months later. And, and that was, that was hard. That was probably some of the hardest things I've done in my life was to try to stay sober in dealing with that. I, I had so much anger towards my dad for, for just, um, we just didn't have a really great relationship. And I, I struggled to try to pinpoint what was wrong with our relationship. I struggled for years to try to, to try to understand that what what was wrong why didn't why didn't our relationship why wasn't it great <laughs> and um and actually it was 3 years into recovery so just a few years ago um my my mom shared with me some of the struggles that she and my dad had had in their relationship um and that would include uh my dad one of one of my primary forms of acting out was online dating websites. I would get on dating websites and troll and um, meet men that way. And uh, my mom had found some of these dating websites that my dad had been on. And um, one in particular where he had said that he was a widow, um, that he had, even though my mom was alive, that he had pictures of our family there, that he had been meeting women, um, that he'd been communicating with women and she shared that with me, uh, I think, in an attempt to try to get some healing herself and not be holding that secret. Um, 
and also shared with me a little bit about his pornography usage on and off throughout his life. So when I found out um, about that, I my dad had already passed away. Um, and I remember that night going to a 12-step meeting because, like you said, what do I do with that information? <laughs> and uh, and just expressing my my sadness that, that that was the case, but also a little bit of uh, relief maybe, um, understanding, starting to really understand why our relationship maybe wasn't what I wanted it to be. Um, because my dad had, I love, uh, Stacy Sprout refers to, um, her dad a lot in her book and he, she talks about, uh, leaky sexuality. Um, and I just love that phrase. My dad, I would say had some leaky sexuality. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and so by the time I found out he had passed away and, uh, and there wasn't really much to do as far as you know, confronting or talking to him or resolving or anything like that. Um, but I will say this, I, I worked through it a lot with a therapist um, and got some help and support around what exactly does that mean? What exactly does that mean for our relationship? What exactly does that mean for my life? Um, but I, I'm really, really incredibly grateful to have been in recovery when I found that out um, because I think it allowed me to have a lot more compassion for my dad. Um, it allowed me to have a lot more understanding, knowing that, I mean, we had we had really similar forms of acting out that I didn't even know about. Um, it allowed me to kind of understand a little bit more about my own uh, addictive cycle and process. And uh, because I was in recovery, I was able to kind of hold these two ideas together that I loved my dad, that he did do some amazing things and contributed amazing positive things to my life. And my dad had a sex addiction that impacted me um, that I didn't even really know about, but was still impacting me throughout my life. Um, I think this leaky sexuality is a, is a good way to describe it. Well, and you have referenced that not only was your dad a sex addict, but that you really did come from a dysfunctional family. And, and you know, I kind of tease, uh, most people do feel like they came from a dysfunctional family. So how do you think your dysfunctional family played into the formation of your sexual addiction? <laughs> wow, that's a really big question, Carol. <laughs> um, I know. I, Um, In a a lot of different ways Some I'm just barely starting to identify Some I've known my whole life Um, I I also Let's see There was We had some family rules That I would say contributed a lot to my To my addiction Um, Rules that said We don't talk about things Rules that said um, We don't talk about emotion at all. Um, my, my family, what we were, we were big eaters. We were food eaters and we were sugar consumers. Um, my mom's idea of, uh, any, any way to fix you, like you were sad, you were happy and we wanted to celebrate, you were sad or something, we would make cookies. And, um, I still have like, I can easily recite three to four cookie recipes off the top of my head. 
that was a big part of our lives. But it was never sit down and talk about it. It was never sit down and work through it. It was never anything like that. It was let's just eat and numb the feeling. And I think that 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 started a process for me that said we don't talk about feelings. We figure out a way to escape or numb them. And so um, it wasn't hard, you know, to to go to an addictive cycle or process um, when when that's your like kind of for a core or fundamental belief about emotion. I also well, you think know, for me, I mean, medic- feelings. I mean, that's certainly what sex does. That's what eating does. Right. That's what drugs do. That's what alcohol does. So I get that that you thought that that was um, an appropriate way. You were taught that that was an appropriate way to pull everybody together and to feed your emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and you developed an actual eating disorder as a result. I did, yeah. Um, I became a binge eater. Um, and that's something that I talk about in the podcast that, and learning to, I'm in recovery for that as well. And learning to um, understand my uh, need for food um, and, and just kind of working through that. I, I would also say that, you know, as far as my dysfunctional family goes, um, you know, one of the things that I've learned a lot about in recovery is relationships, um, how relationships work. And one of the things that I I read, and I know it's by Patrick Carnes, but I can't remember which book it comes from, but um, he talked about just, you know, that our parents couldn't teach us basic relational skills because they didn't have them themselves. They didn't understand them. And I used to always, like, tout this idea that my I never heard my parents fight. Like, this was... This was like a huge accomplishment in my family because, in you know, in the world, because my parents just never fought. They never fought. They never argued. They never yelled at each other. That was never anything. And I, I used to be really, really proud of that until I just realized that they didn't fight because they didn't know they didn't know how. Like they didn't know how to talk about emotion. They didn't know how to do anything but avoid. That was their primary um, go-to when it came to conflict or emotion or anything like that, which is avoid, avoid and turn the other direction. And so one of the things I've had to learn in recovery is kind of these basic recovery or basic relational skills, how to fight fairly, how to understand and express discomfort, you know, um, in your relationship, whether that's anger, whether that's fear, whether that's hurt. Um, Those were things that we just never, ever talked about. And so, and I never heard talked about by my parents either. So understanding kind of that level of dysfunction, too, um, has really helped me. Well, that makes total sense. And I'm a big believer in, you know, we are guided by our feelings. There are five primary ones. There are anger, sadness, loneliness, Mm -hmm. fear, and happiness, and then, of course, shame and guilt. And, you know, it doesn't sound like your family in any way, shape, or form taught you about feelings or validated your feelings. And so you just kind of went about your life aimlessly figuring out how to feel better about yourself and your situation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I remember, you know, feeling from from a, as a child, 
feeling very lonely, um, not being able to connect uh, emotionally with other children, with my family, and just feeling very lonely. And I think that that's a a feeling that has followed me, you know, into my into adulthood, into my adult life. Just struggle with that feeling of of being lonely, of not having a place to connect my emotions or plug in um, emotionally with people. And, and again, that's something I've had to really work on. And, you know, you have really worked hard. Now, for a female sex addict, if they want to get a hold of you or they want to participate in the podcast, if they want to listen to the podcast, if they want to, want to be part of one of your webinars, I mean, how can they get a hold of you? And, and tell our female sex addicts, what do you offer? Yeah. So our website is www.worthrecovery.com. Um, and at the website, you can find our podcast. You can find our blog. We just recently have added another female voice, uh, Shannon, who has started blogging for us. And I'm really grateful for her and her ability to share her story in writing. That's just amazing. So currently we have, we have the podcast. We have 91 episodes of the podcast and we cover, I know we cover everything from my own personal story um, to we cover some of the 12 steps and how to work the 12 steps in your life. We cover uh, how to talk back to the negative voices in your head. We, we talk about so many different things in recovery. Um, and then, like I said, we have the blog as well. Uh, we currently have what we call worth recovery events, which are um, events where we bring in some, you know, really qualified CSAT therapists to speak about different questions that people ask me. I get a lot of questions uh, from women in recovery about trauma, about betrayal, about healing, about just so many different things that I can share my own perspective, but I am definitely not the clinical expert. And so we bring in these experts to talk about these topics that they have. Our, our next event is going to be in Washington, the state of Washington, and it'll be this summer in July. And I'm really excited. We're going to be covering um, trauma repetition. Uh, what is it and how, how do I stop it? We're going to be covering betrayal and we're going to be covering um, sexuality. How do I move my sexuality from the pro- profane to the sober to the sacred? And, and so I'm excited to have our speakers and, and that's going on in July. We also have some things coming up. We have some, um, I, oh, personally, I do some recovery coaching. Um, and so they can contact me on the website and learn about recovery coaching um, and the things that we offer there. And then we have upcoming, we have some webinars and some online courses that are going to be launched just in the next month. So we've got a variety of things that we're, that we're working on to try to support women. You can contact me directly at amy, A-M-Y, at worthrecovery.com, or you can contact me uh, via the website um, and go from there. The podcast is also available, like yours is, on iTunes. Um, it's in the Google Play Store, um, so you can get it at any of those places. And so let me ask you, obviously, someone who might be interested in some recovery coaching, what would they expect? Like, tell us what a recovery coach does for sex addiction. Yeah, so um, I started recovery coaching, again, just about a year ago. And I have found this really great kind of, you know, I, 
uh, let's see, how do I describe this? So me personally, I have a therapist that I, you know, work with. I have a sponsor that I work with. And there's kind of this gap in between of um, how do I just work in a daily life? How do I operate daily life sober? Um, my therapist helps me with trauma. My therapist helps me with the deep issues. My therapist helped me with, you know, family of origin issues, with EMDR, with all sorts of things. And I need that. My sponsor helps me work the 12 steps, helps me stay in a program, helps me, you know, do all those things that I need. And, and it's good to have someone in my life who, um, you know, is not getting paid, <laughs> who is helping me to see things differently. But there's kind of this gap in the middle of how do I live sober? How do I function? How do I do daily things um, that are going to have to change now that I'm living a different life? And a recovery coach helps to fill in that gap. A recovery coach helps to uh, work through that daily living process and becomes one of the consultants on your team, on your recovery team. And so recovery coaching for me, I do both individual and group coaching. Um, and it looks like phone calls or video Skype uh, video appointments where I, we have a kind of a program where we talk about, first of all, just getting really stable um, in your own tools, understanding pl- one of the big things that I um, work on with them is plans. So when this happens, what are you going to do? When you're triggered, what are you going to do? When you, when you come across something that's, you know, that's really difficult for you, what's your plan? Um, I have some women that really struggle with like dreams, um, trauma dreams or uh, acting out dreams. And so we create a dream plan. You know, what are we going to do to be able to, when you get up in the morning, to be able to work through that so it doesn't sink you for that day. Um, And so we kind of work through these just daily living events that have to change because you're now living a different lifestyle. You're living in recovery. And so that's what I do. Well, that's excellent. And one more time, the website is? www.worthrecovery, that's W-O-R-T-H, R-E-C-O-V-E-R-Y dot com. Got it. And and clearly, you obviously offer a lot of resources for female sex addicts. And then these special events or webinars, I mean, tell me what would a sex addict, what would a female sex addict do to get involved with those? Yeah, um, they can find all the information on the website. Uh, We're currently selling tickets for our event in Washington. Uh, We just had an event here in Utah just a few months ago. We had um, just about 50 women attend our event, and and it was great. We learned so much. So they can get involved in that by going to the website, and at the top there's a tab that says Education, and they can learn about all the the um, webinars and things we have coming up, they can learn about recovery coaching, or there's a tab that says events, and they can learn about the events coming up and how to get involved in those events. And again, one of the best ways you can contact me is to just shoot me an email, amy at worthrecovery.com, and we can start a conversation. Got it. Well, Amy, I really admire your courage, and obviously you're helping a lot of people. And when I heard about that webcast, well, the podcast, I said to myself, I've got to interview her and find out more about that because, let's face it, 
as of today, there is still not enough information available and resources available to really help people to fine-tune what they need to actually be recovered from this horrible affliction. And, you know, you're right. I've called it an intimacy disorder, but the compulsivity is so strong that it can make people feel like they they can't beat it by themselves. And you and I both know Patrick Carn says you can't. You need a committee. Right. You need your fellowship. You need your posse. You need your group. You need your coach. You need your therapist. Um, and it sounds like you've done a really good job of putting all, putting it all together. So I want to thank you so much for having that kind of courage to do that. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, it's definitely a team effort. Um I would not have that courage without my team, my committee, you know, that helps me and supports me. And, and I'm really, really grateful for them. And I'm just really inspired by the women that contact me um, and that share their stories with me. We do interviews of women in recovery as part of the podcast as well. And I'm just, I just really feel like every time I hear another woman's story, I heal just a little bit more. And every time I get an opportunity to share my story, I heal just a little bit more. And I'm really grateful for that opportunity. And that's why I'm really grateful to be able to be on today with you and and share my story as well. All right. Well, you keep me posted about different events and the different resources you offer. And I'll, I'll keep you on because I really, really want female sex addicts to know that there's help out there for them too. So thanks again, and I'll look forward to hearing more about your specialized services. You have a great week. Sounds great. You too. Thank you so much, Carol. You are welcome. All right, so that was Amy, and she has started Worth Recovery, and clearly what we know to be true is that female sex addicts have not been acknowledged and don't have necessarily the resources necessary to really fine-tune their programs. So just know she's one of the women that has said, you know what, we can make a difference here all together. And um, I just really admire her courage. It's it's very difficult to admit that you're a, a female sex addict because of the stigma attached to that. All right. So I, as always, feel very blessed to be with you, and I look forward to to introducing you to the experts in this field of sexual addiction and partner trauma. And so, as I say at the end of every show, you know, there will only be one of you at all times. I bet you could say this with me. So fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. You are so worth it. Know that we're here for you, and we can get through this trauma together, whether you be a sex addict or a partner who loves a sex addict. We're all in it together and you can recover. You have a great week, and again, I'll catch you next week for more Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Talk to you soon.